Good morning, buenas tardes, whatever time or wherever you may be when you're listening to this. Welcome and thank you for being here. I'm here to bring you people from various backgrounds. Authors, actors, educators, athletes, politicians, and more. People that I think are interesting and hope you will too. Today's special guest is a polling analyst and writer who has his take on religious influence in politics here in the United States. Some of his past work can be found on The Hill and Salon, and he was the founding online managing editor of the Washington Examiner. The founder, editor, and publisher of Flux Community, my friend, Matthew Sheffield. Sit back, relax, or listen while on your morning jog. I'm Alex Atarain, and this is episode 6 of Candidly Human. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 6 of Candidly Human. I am your host, Alex Atarain. As always, very happy to be here with you all today. Super excited about this episode. We have Matthew Sheffield, who is a polling analyst. He's a writer, talks a lot about politics. But before I get into that, make sure you go ahead and follow Candidly Human. Go ahead and just check out CandidlyHuman.com. There you can find all of our episodes, all the information about the show. Follow on Facebook. Just look up Candidly Human. On Twitter and Instagram is at CandidlyHumanUS. So a little bit about Matthew. Matthew, again, is a political writer. He is the founder, editor of Flux Community. So a very, very unique experience that you get there when you go read their content. And we talk about his life growing up. He's a former Mormon. Uh, His evolution in politics. I mean, he took part in Newsbusters with the creation of the online portion of the Washington Examiner. So many things that Matthew was involved with. So he's a very interesting person to talk to. I got a lot of insight, and I hope you do too. So without further ado, let's get candid with Matthew Sheffield. Matthew, thank you for joining me. How's uh, your morning going? Um, Pretty good. Pretty good. It's uh, cloudy here in Long Beach, though, but it always is in the morning. Long Beach. Okay, so we were just talking about where each of us lives Uh I'm in the LA Valley, you're in Long Beach, so it's a little bit of a distance, so if we if we wanted to hang out sometime, obviously I'd be like, nah, you, you gotta meet me halfway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably Beverly Hills, I guess. That wouldn't uh, be a bad spot. Bad. Not at all. <laughs> um, so let me ask you this. I like to open things up with a icebreaker, that way we can keep things, or get things going in a lighthearted fashion. So let me ask you this. Have you ever eaten something... That wasn't what you thought it was. Um. Well, not ate something, but drank something. Yes. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, I, I need to hear the story if you don't mind me oh, asking. <laughs> okay. Well, it's uh actually a a pretty gross story, but um. <laughs> okay. Well, so uh, in my younger years, I uh was a very devout Mormon, and um, my family had a uh, we were so um into it that we actually were more mormon than the mormons uh, <laughs> and so we my my uh, dad had basically a, his own ad hoc ministry uh which was dedicated partly to converting people to mormonism but then also partly to making mormons be more like him and we his children all participated in it and one of the things that we did was uh play music uh across the country in random places often sometimes on the street even um and city halls and other places like that and uh one of my uh brothers he uh had well my older brother he he has a he has a, a mental illness and so he um doesn't always do things that you would expect him to do and uh, so one day, one day after a long, hot day of playing out in the street, I came back into the car and I was thirsty and I uh, went in and uh, I was thought, I was like, oh, good. Some of that apple juice is still left. I'm going to drink that. And I drank it 
And unbeknownst to me, it was urine. <laughs> no, no way. Yes, yes, yeah. And so I immediately spit it out and was freaking out. And I was like, I drank urine. Ah, ah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it became a, a, a meme within my family ever since. <laughs> oh, no. You know what? I would not have expected that. But once you started going into going to the car and drinking something, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. I was already feeling bad for you. I, I wanted to go back to your younger self and be like, no, no, Matthew, don't. <laughs> See, yeah. and, and I thought to myself, you know what? My, mine's pretty funny. From time to time, when I, when I ask these questions, it's based off of an experience that I had as well. Um, mm -hmm. but that one beats mine. That one definitely <laughs> beats mine. So mine is, uh, I was cleaning my mom's car one day and uh, again, another car story. Right. And I don't know if, if you remember, but like in the mid two thousands, there were these candies that were like sour spray candies. They would go ahead and, um, sell them at like, uh, the front of convenience stores and stuff. So they were just like sour candy sprays. And mm. I had, I had found one in my mom's car. And I'm like, oh, awesome. I, I love that. So I go over and spray, and there's nothing sour or sweet about it, right? And I just start spitting it out like crazy, and I look at it, and it was a mosquito repellent. <laughs> 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 so I just, I, I guess for me, it would have been maybe checking the label would have been a better idea. But your, yours definitely beats mine because yours, you know, there's apple juice. I imagine there's a label on it. So you're like, and okay. there was some apple juice in there, actually, as it turned out. <laughs> <laughs> you could taste a little bit of the of both, right? Oh man, that is crazy, yeah. Matthew. I'm okay. Yeah, that one beats mine. I don't think I, 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 that one's gonna sit with me forever. I'm gonna be checking apple juice all the time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me a while to be willing to drink it again. <laughs> oh, I don't blame you. That's that's a very traumatizing experience. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh... So let, let me. But I got over it. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it takes time. It definitely takes time. It's uh, trust issues, you know. And once once you work past them, you're able to go ahead and drink apple juice with your breakfast a little bit regularly. <laughs> so I'm glad that you got past it and lived past that trauma. So you did mention your background in growing up Mormon. So uh -huh. as many other people, obviously we grow up with the communities that you know our parents surround us with right so obviously for many people community is uh their religion so their church so for you growing up and to the point that you have gotten now um what was it that actually ended up getting you out of uh mormonism or, or the mormon religion um well it was i would say that I mean, it was it wasn't any one particular thing, but the last straw was um, well. I guess there were two things. There, first, I first decided to just stop attending their services, and then later I decided I didn't believe in it. Um, and so, what made me stop attending services was that. So, in um, Mormonism is a little different from other uh, religions in that. They're so interested in getting um, their young adult members to hook up with each other, uh, but of course only after being sanctioned by the church, um, <laughs> that they actually have separate con congregations for their young adult members, and they call them singles wards. Um, and so, and basically in these in these um, congregations, they're made up. The membership is entirely young adults. And except for the the head of the heads of the uh, like the you know the minister or, or bishop as they're called is not a young single adult, um, and so but the problem with those is that they're extremely patronizing and they basically treat somebody who is let's say a you know 35 year old successful CEO but never married they treat them the exact same as they do an 18 year old fresh out of high school um, and uh, and in fact if that 18 year old goes and gets married they actually are treated better than that uh, other person who is um, who is single and never married regardless of their social status um, so it, it's just you know it's like basically they're treating you like a overgrown teenager um, and I just thought it was really bizarre and creepy and 
patronizing and i and i was just like you know after going to them for a while i was like this is annoying like i don't <laughs> like this um and so why am i doing this and so uh one of my brothers and i we had moved somewhere um and you know our mom made sure to give us the address of the local congregation and the time that they were meeting and then you know the sunday came around and we both were like do you want to go no do you want to go no <laughs> Okay, well then let's not go. <laughs> and so we didn't. Um, and then, um, and so then ap after a few weeks, um, you know, my uh, parents started asking us again, you know, we're like, oh, you're not going. Well, why not? Do you still believe in it? And, you know, we were like, uh, I don't know. Um, so then they basically, their constant questions made us start deciding whether we believed it or not. And mm -hmm. um, then, you know, I had seen, so South Park had a, a very famous episode about Mormonism, <laughs> yep. and, uh, and I had seen it as a, as a Mormon, and, you know, it kind of sat in the back of my head um, as something like, oh, well, that's, you know, uh, that might be true, but it doesn't mean you can't be a Mormon. Uh, and then I stumbled on a, a um, website that had biographies of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, and then L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, and um, I and I realized after reading both of them that that there were a lot of similarities between those two guys, and that they um, in fact did a lot of the same things. You know, like they started their church to make money. They took advantage of female members. Um, they traveled around constantly trying to. Uh, evade local uh, law enforcement and try to do all sorts of shady uh, financial dealings and um, kept getting in, you know, provoking anger and getting people to leave their congregations on account of how sleazy they were. And, and then, you know, and it, and it struck me after reading both of those, wow. So it's not true then. Um, <laughs> no. And then everything that all these doubts that I had had over the years just suddenly clicked into place. And it was like, you know, I had, you know, constructed this elaborate proprietary Mormonism in my own head, which didn't exist in the real world. Um, but it was filled with justifications for all these things that had concerned me. And, you know, then once I, once I had accepted the idea, oh, well, maybe it's not true. Then everything all fell into place and everything made sense. And I didn't, I didn't have to have this, you know, contorted, um, vision of 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 reality you know, i now was able to live in actual reality and so i sometimes tell people if i'm in a joking mood that scientology saved me from mormonism just to see <laughs> their reaction <laughs> i i imagine that was still a bit difficult because again you're growing up with uh these ideas and this is basically all you know and i imagine that the questioning of it brings a lot of questions about yourself as well so was it difficult to kind of break out of it and come to terms with the idea that you actually didn't believe in that? Or was it a pretty easy, like just the way that it built up over the years with you questioning these things, was it easier at the end to just kind of be like, no, I'm done with this? Um, well, I'd say overall, it wasn't that difficult to walk away from it because as I said, I'd had a number of problems with it. Um, but what was more difficult was deciding what I thought about the things that they had told me, you know, the morality that I had been inculcated with. So I had to, you know, evaluate, well, what do I think about X and what do I think about Y and Z, you know, and A and B and Z, um, et cetera. And, you know, one of the first things that I reevaluated was, you know, my position on homosexuality. Um, and, you know, I had done some, research beforehand that you know was talking about how it exists um you know within the animal world and that's not something that in fundamentalist uh religions that they tell you um in fact their homosexuality is quite common among animals um it's a recessive trait for sure but it's still there um and um you know and so but coming to terms with that with different with different doctrines that i had been taught um, you know, and, um, you know, for a long time I had been taught the notion that, 
you know, you have to have some sort of um, theological basis in order to, to have, in order to be moral. And I remember saying that to a friend of mine um, before, while I was in this process, that very same phrase. And, you know, later I came to realize, no, you don't really need that. And in fact, moralities um, predate religion in terms of human history. And that was actually what I was about to mention, too, is um, I think in society, uh, modern day society, even though there's a lot of us, uh, there's growing secularism, right? But in terms of, you know, morality, ethics, a lot of people think that that's strictly based through religion. But as you mentioned, mm -hmm. it does predate it because before there was organized religion, people were already here. There were already mm -hmm. ways of living. Houses, early societies were working in their own way. So there was already like yeah. these ethics and ways of living where, again, you didn't need a book or a doctrine to go ahead and tell you, oh, this is the way that you have to act. Yeah. Um, well, and then the other thing I realized also is that, you know, animals have morality um, among themselves. You can't horn in on somebody else's kill. Um, you know, that's that's not allowed. And, you know, if somebody comes into your territory you can fight them or and you should fight them you know like these are and and that you know uh you you take care of members of the pack and you stand up for them like these are these are these are animal moralities um and so and obviously they don't have any sort of religion um and if the other thing also though is that if you know we're basing uh morality on at religious antiquity well, then that means we should all be praying to Horus and, uh, you know, all the Egyptian gods, because as far as we know, they're the oldest established religion. So they must be the true ones, not anything that came afterward. <laughs> and that, again, as society evolves and as we learn new things, as facts come into play, we try to adjust to them. And I say try because this is one of the next things that we're going to talk about, because facts matter, right? So... You started off uh, with rather bias, right? And this this comes around in uh, the year 2000 during the Al Gore, George W. Bush uh, general election, which obviously George W. went on and, and won thanks to uh, uh, Florida, right? Well, obviously it was a little bit more than that, but it was Florida that was the final domino. But obviously uh, Dan Rather, so where rather bias comes from. CBS News anchor at the time, you know, one of the big journalists of our time, you felt at that time he had this bias against George W. and the way that he reported it. And I'm putting this, I guess, the most implicit way possible. In your evolution as well, so you, you had this evolution in religion and then you had one in the way that conservative media works. But kind of tell us a little mm -hmm. bit how you got started with rather bias and then just kind of work your way up from there. Okay, sure, yeah. Um, well, so I, I actually did start it during my Mormon years. Um, and, you know, in those days, you know, 90s and earlier, um, a, a lot of families would gather in the evenings and watch a, an evening news show. That's just, I mean, to some degree, people do that now, but it's with the cable channel. Um, but you know, in our family, for whatever reason, was watching CBS. And um, one of my brothers and I, we didn't like how Rather was covering the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Um, you know, and, and we didn't like, we thought that here was a guy that was clearly committing perjury. And then that was that, you know, whether you thought that was impeachable or not, it was clearly uh, wrong <laughs> legally. Um, and, you know, and, and he was subsequently um, banned from, the Supreme Court for his perjury. So, you know, in, in retrospect, uh, a bunch of people on the left are starting to be like, oh, you know what, that was probably not so wrong to impeach him for that, uh, for harassing a, a subordinate and, um, you know, sicking his his employees on her and just trashing her life. I think what happened to Monica Lewinsky is terrible. Um, and... But anyway, so, you know, we thought at the very least, you know, you should be rather should be a little bit more. He should be even handed in how he's talking about it. And so um, we decided to start up a website that sort of made the definitive case that rather was uh, a Democratic uh, partisan and that he was liberal. Um, and so we collected, you know, 
hundreds of quotations from him on many subjects over the years and put them all on one site. Um, and then uh, launched it out. And, uh, you know, I, th I think the facts basically prove that we were correct. And, you know, certainly uh, you see him now on Twitter. He's, you know, a committed liberal Democrat. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. I, I, my issue was more just admitting that he was and, you know, and move on from there. Um, but at the same time, you know, I saw rather as just maybe the worst of, you know, this endemic problem of liberal bias, um, as I saw it. And, you know, to me, I, I felt, and, and there's a very strong and, and uh, you know, longstanding tradition among conservatives of feeling uh, that the media doesn't adequately or fairly recount their beliefs. Um, and I certainly believe that. Um, and so that was part of why we did that. And after um, rather had his National Guard controversy and kind of, you know, used those fake documents uh, that just our site, you know, just went through the roof and we got all kinds of publicity. And um, and I started realizing, wow, you know, I could build a business out of this. Um, and so my uh, my brother and I, we went and started another website with this uh, right-wing group called the Media Research Center, and we called the site Newsbusters, and uh, they were our first client, and we ran that for a few years, and then uh, my brother dropped out of that of the business, and I kept going and um, launched the Washington Examiner. I was the first managing editor of that, um, and uh, which is still going. Both of those sites are still going, and uh, I worked on a couple of other different. Um, conservative things and campaigns. Um, and over the course of, you know, working in that world, um, and, you know, I had made my religious transition to more of a secular worldview. Um, and, you know, I, it, seemed fine to me it meshed comfortably for me because um you know if you look at the history of conservatism as a philosophy there's a lot of of their philosophers who were secular like thomas hobbes or david hume or uh, montesquieu the the french uh political philosopher um you know they were they were all they're all routinely you know their arguments and thoughts are, are very influential in conservatism adam smith another one um and so, but, and they were not believers in anything. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm just in that tradition and, and these guys are in the more, you know, Christian tradition and whatever. Um, but as I got further along, I started realizing, wow, these guys don't really know anything about how to persuade the public of their viewpoints. You know, they just keep running the same dumb plays like, you know, let's shut down the government. Uh, or let's, uh, you know, stop the the debt ceiling from being raised um, and shut down the government. So like and, and, and think that magically it will it will make the government cut its spending. And it, of course, that never works. And it never did. And they and they kept doing it over and over. Uh, and I was like, OK, you know, maybe I, I, I'm going to write a book um, trying to educate them about the fundamentals of politics and political science um, and public opinion and get them to understand also that, you know, a lot of Americans are not, you know, into Christian fundamentalism or biblical literalism or, you know, evangelical worldview, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so um, I started writing it and I wrote, uh, I guess, I, like 70,000 words of it. Um, 90,000, I forget, but a lot. <laughs> and I had a publisher sign for it. Uh, well, I guess it, we didn't have an official contract, but they definitely wanted to read it and, and publish it. And uh, the guy who was my editor told me it was the best conservative book he had read in decades. Um, so I was really excited to release it. And, you know, in the course of writing it and researching it, um, I came to the conclusion that, you know, these guys, they don't want to be correct. Um, they don't want to see the world as it is. They want to indulge their feelings more than they want to achieve, um, you know, to achieve their values. Um, and like they like the idea of 
not being popularly supported um, with their ideas because they see it as so, some sort of, um, so within Christianity, there's this concept and Protestant and Catholic more than Mormon. Uh, there's this concept of witness, the idea that, you know, you're going to uh, be the, you know, the persecuted prophet who stands up to the evil uh, religious, you know, anti-religious figures, um, just like the apostles in the books of book of Acts or Jesus, you know, and then the bad guys will will persecute you for your beliefs, and uh, you you should never compromise on them in any way. Um, and they basically, at some point, conflated, you know, their political opinions with their religious opinions, and so. <laughs> Uh, you know, your views about tax cuts somehow have divine consequences uh, for them. And, um, you know, and coming to that realization, I, I kind of went into depression because I was like, wow, so I, this could be the best book in human history. And I wouldn't persuade them to change what they're thinking or what they're doing. And so I, I was like, well, I don't. I don't think I can release this book. Um, I don't because I don't want to help them. Um, and you know, not only that, I what they want is antithetical to what I want. You know, I was trying to create a pluralistic uh, political system where people who are religious and not religious can all coexist and debate, but that's not what they want. And what they wanted was to have Christian supremacism and for non-Christians to have fewer rights than Christians. And, you know, that was greatly concerning to me. And so I uh, basically began to disassociate myself from a lot of things. And, you know, I uh, during that time also, I had made the mistake of showing some of my manuscript to one of my uh, Newsbusters colleagues. And after that moment, he began trying to get me fired. Uh, to, which is really funny considering how much they talk about cancel culture, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and he got, it was trying to get me fired for saying that, you know, Christian conservatives need to be more welcoming to, you know, LGBT people and, uh, and atheists and agnostics. And, you know, he hated that idea. And, you know, I came to realize that a lot of them hate that idea. And, um, and I just, uh, so anyway, over the, so after that, I basically started, you know, easing out of that world. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that I could write about it, you know, more from a reporting standpoint and, and show people some of the things that were happening in, in the far right. Um, but eventually I came to the realization that, you know, these problems were so big and so um, philosophically, um, what um, that that they are, you know, rooted in philosophical problems and of their the, of conservatism. And so I realized that I had to go for more of an uh, an opinion journalist and you know type essay type format. And so I stopped working as a reporter and um, started uh, my own website called Flux. And uh, that's where we are today. And so I just published a piece uh, last week um, about how um, conservative far right Christians, you know, for a long, for the longest time, they've believed that, um, you know, they, they see all the evidence that cre they're creationists, you know, young earth creationists uh, narrative isn't true. Like there's so much evidence the earth is not 6,000 years old. There's so much evidence that, you know, that there are all kinds of missing link species and the fossil record is rep replete with organisms that are not, you know, one thing or the other. Um, and, you know, and, and so, but they don't want to accept that belief. And so what they've done instead is basically come to the idea that, well, so everything is just an opinion. Um, and science is just an opinion. History is just an opinion. So, you know, you can go and tell me that Jehovah had a wife and that he was a member of the Canaanite pantheon. And maybe you can have some evidence for that. Um, but I don't have to believe it. Um, 
I can believe what I want. And because you just have an opinion. Um, and so, and that's basically, they've settled on this epistemology, um, this theory of knowledge for themselves, which is that everything is subject to debate. And so, and everything is an opinion. So if everything is an opinion and we can't know for certain about anything, then I'll just believe what I want. Um, and so they've existed in this world of factual relativism for decades now in, in fundamentalist Christian circles and which was a perfect place for Donald Trump to walk into because he's a, you know, he's a total liar. So you take people who don't believe in truth uh, and then you mix it with a guy who uh, never tells the truth, you know, it's a great match. <laughs> and so that's what that essay is about. Obviously, there are, I hate the fact that, you know, the two sides eating thing, but obviously you're going to have your fringe left and right, always. But when we talk about political discourse, where we have to start talking about reality and more so along the lines of people who have really lost it, especially like, let's say on the right, because you also have, you know, uh, QAnon that has really taken over um, the right side. Obviously, it may be a, a small group, but it's a very vocal one, right? Um, so things such as that, and again, having political discourse and being able to talk to one another has become very difficult, especially in the age of social media. So where do you think political discourse should go for people to kind of finally somewhat come back together? And realize, okay, there are people that are way far out there on either side, but what can we do to lessen the blow of that? Mm -hmm. um, well, I think, you know, trying to keep um, your, your discourse based on verifiable facts, um, I, that's, that's the most important way to, to find common ground in terms of um, if we can at least agree on what the problems are and what and what the data is about those problems, then we can, you know, begin to to come to it uh, to some common ground about that, uh, about what to do about it. And so that's you know that's why it is very important to um, you know have a well balanced media diet, um, and you know because we you know we're constantly advised by nutritionists and doctors to, you know, not always eat the same thing all the time and, you know, get a nice mix of uh, vitamins and minerals and, um, because that's what your body needs. And our mind needs the same thing that if you only are, are looking at one side's viewpoints, um, then you're not understanding even your own adequately. Uh, and that was one of the things that I kind of um, also kind of prompted my movement out of the, out of conservative active, activism was that, you know, I started thinking, well, you know, I'm going to start reading um, liberal uh, bloggers and, and, and writers, and I'm going to start responding to the things that they say. Um, and what I started to notice was that a, nobody on the conservative side was doing that. They were just weren't reading liberal uh, arguments. And then B, a lot of the liberal arguments that I read made more sense than the things that I had been, uh, you know, had believed on the on the conservative side. And, you know, and, and so, but at the same time, you know, there were, I mean, even now I still read conservative media and you know, a lot of the stuff they say isn't true, but sometimes they get it right. So like, for instance, um, in the uh, lead up to the 2020 election, um, the uh, website Breitbart had a couple of articles talking about um, that the uh, vote by mail ballots, you know, the mail ballots in Florida were not coming in at a, at a rate that would be sustainable for Joe Biden to win the state there. And they said this in September, actually, in October. And, you know, I thought, oh, wow, that's a, a very interesting hypothesis. Um, and I wonder if it's true. And so I went and constructed my own data model based on uh, national unreturned ballots. Because normally in elections, it's somewhere between like 15 and 25 percent of ballots sent to voters are not ever returned. Uh, and in the pandemic 
uh, where you had lots of unsolicited ballots for people who never had done that before, and you know some of whom couldn't read English very well, uh, or couldn't read any language particularly well, um, or didn't have a stable address, or you know worked a lot, uh, or you know for whatever reason, um, or you know had a had a home or work environment where they just didn't have time to sit down there for two hours and vote, you know, go through this thing. Um, and so, you know, I, but just using the pure, so actually, as it turned out, though, it was like, depending on the area, like 30 to 35% of the mail ballots in 2020 were never returned. And those ballots were overwhelmingly Democratic versus Republican. Um, and so the model that I had made told me that, that uh, Trump was going to win Florida. And uh, and I and I was I, I pitched a couple of uh, mainstream media outlets on that thesis. This was before I had started Flux, and um, they were terrified of that idea. <laughs> that they, they they were terrified that I was coming up with something that would that was outside of the consensus, um, and that was you know it was a, it was a dangerous idea that I was using math to argue an idea that was novel. Um, and, you know, because A, they don't like to be outside of the conventional wisdom, and then B, they don't like to use math. Uh, <laughs> and so I had no chance, basically, um, to get it published. Uh, but I, and I, I, I made a couple of predictions before the election saying that, that Trump was going to do a lot better based on this. And I was right. Um, but, you know, it would have been nice to have a uh, had a full scale article uh, before the election saying that that I could point to and be like, yeah, see guys, I called this. Um, and so that ultimately was what made me decide, you know what, I'm tired of having to wait for these people. I'm just gonna start my own organization and, and start my own community and uh, help people who are trying to get access to media because you know, our current environment is very, uh, our current journalistic environment is very not uh, and not even just journalistic, but entertainment as well. Our current media environment is not welcoming to people who are, you know, don't have an Ivy League degree or don't, didn't go to a film school or didn't, um, you know, have a fancy um, DC internship or a fancy New York internship. But if you don't have those things, you know, if you're from Ohio or you're from, you know, Kentucky or Nevada or whatever, you know, like, they don't really care what you have to say. Um, and that's, that's really dumb. That's really dumb. And so I, that's what Flux is about, is trying to, um, you know, open doors for new people and for new ideas. Um, because, you know, like for somebody like me, you know, I spent most of my childhood, you know, living in unstable housing. I went to 19 K through 12 schools. Uh, I moved around so much, I basically got tired of school. Um, and, you know, I was always one of the smartest kids in the class, but I just didn't give a damn after a while. And, you know, there's, you know, our, our system is not conducive to helping people who don't, who don't fit into the, you know, conventional molds. And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to fix that to some degree and build a community of people who are are looking to build something as well. And you mentioned that you went to 19 different K through 12 schools. So at what point, because obviously like that, that is very detrimental to a child, right? Like it's, it's all about having a, as a kid, social development is very important. And if you're moving around from one place to another, you're not able to make these connections or at least these stable connections. So at what point did you feel finally stable? I imagine that was sometime in your adulthood where you just, you're finally in one place and you're like, Oh, maybe this is weird. Or, uh, what point was that for you? Um, yeah, well it was, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely had to develop, uh, I mean, the only way that I really came out of that process was to, um, you know, kind of, I kind of developed, a you know, this very cynical, um, not caring about anything type of, you know, persona and worldview for a long time. And because I basically had to, because 
all the stuff that I liked was constantly being, uh, <laughs> you know, I was being ripped away from it all the time. Uh, and so, you know, after a while, I kind of just stopped having interest in making friends. And, and I had, you know, eight, seven siblings. So I always had my friends with me in, in some sense. Um, and so there, I still did have some continuity in that regard. Um, but um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's something that definitely, uh, I, you know, there were definitely negative aspects of it, but also there were some, I, I think that because I saw so many schools and so many different people, um, that I was able to come away with a lot of perspective um, that, you know, as a child that a lot of people don't get until they're adults um, and understanding about different ways that people think and different ways of doing things and that, that it's okay and it doesn't matter necessarily um, what, um, you know, one way is not... For in most times, you know, there isn't just one perfect way to do something. Um, I think that was ultimately the main thing that I that I learned, and it's you know, it's it's been useful for me, uh, you know, once I exited that environment. Yeah, that that is crazy, but that's a great point. You know, having your family around is extremely important, and the fact that you had so many siblings to kind of be around, it may, it makes a big difference. Like it's a, it's often the blow of not having these connections outside of the household. So you also mentioned Flux Community, which mm -hmm. you began. But when we go back to when you started Rather Biased, what was it like to kind of build something from the ground up and on your own? Did you have any training at all in web developing or was it something that you just kind of, you know, started looking up and, and learning and again, built from scratch on your own, like kind of what, what was that? And then now with Flux, how has that experience helped you from there? I had been doing websites before I, I launched Rather Biased, actually. Um, I started making them in 1996 um, when I came out of college or came into college. And so I had a, had a personal site for a while, and then I also worked in college newspapers on websites and actually created one of the first collegiate newspapers on the internet. Yeah, and so um, so I had some you know background in, in doing that uh, when I launched Rather Bias, but yeah, it was all from scratch. And um, I almost majored in computer science, but I actually, I might have done a double major in computer science and political science, but I kept getting in trouble with my uh, computer science professors because <laughs> they were upset at me for using coding concepts that I wasn't supposed to have learned yet. Um, and I was like, well, if I know how to do this, then why can't I do it this better way? And they're like, well, no, you have to do it this way because, uh, you know, you won't understand this other thing. I'm like, well, how do you understand the other thing? <laughs> uh, and so I was like, you know what, I, I don't have to put up with this. I'll just continue at my own pace here. And, uh, so I did and, you know, and uh, learned a lot in the course of uh, making those um, newspaper websites and uh, rather biased. And, you know, I made a bunch of other sites. And so at this point now, you know, when I'm starting Flux, um, it definitely is helpful for us that the editor can also be the um, the website manager. <laughs> I can uh, do a couple of jobs in one. Uh, it makes it, you know, more cost effective in that sense. Oh, for uh, sure. But yeah. So, but I mean, you know, the one thing that I did learn overall though, is that, you know, people on the web, you know, they want, um, as much as, you know, there is clickbait out there and, you know, dopey celebrity things and whatever, uh, people want quality stuff and there is always room for quality and there's always room for you know, and, and if you can bring something with consistent quality, you can build community around that. And, you know, especially in this pandemic, um, you know, time, you know, people are are being able to find community in, in um, less, you know, they're understanding that they can find community outside of Facebook or Twitter. And um, so, you know, we've, we've got our own private community for writers and podcasters and, um and member and uh patreon so it's uh you know it's a it's a nice little group and we're always expanding it so 
No, that's awesome. That, that is really awesome. And so let me ask you this. As you've grown multiple websites or, or at least multiple online pu- publications. So when you look at the conservative environment and how it has evolved or devolved, whatever way you want to call it, right? And knowing that you played like a large role, especially in its conception, do you look back at it as, you know, you kind of look at, at it and you're like, oh man, like this is something that maybe I would not have wanted to do or this is not what I expected it to get to. So just kind of what your mindset is in terms of looking back at some of the stuff that you built and like, let's say for example, Newsbusters or um, mm-hmm. obviously Washington Examiner is a huge huge online publication. Um, so what, what's, again, what's your kind of like uh, your hindsight, so to say? It's something I've thought about, um, you know, a fair amount. And um, I think the, you know, overall, I, I feel like the examiner, uh, you know, is actually in a fairly good place. You know, it's, it's a lot more uh, factual oriented than let's say Fox News or Infowars or some of these other ones. So, um, I don't, you know, I don't feel anything bad about that. Um, and, but, you know, I, I, it has been unfortunate, um, you know, to see my former colleagues at, uh, Newsbusters, you know, go off the deep end with the Trump worship and, um, you know, and, and like they do stuff now that, uh, I never would have allowed, you know, when I was the editor of it, like they have all caps headlines and, you know, use profanity in their articles um, and, you know, just really make personal at- nasty attacks. Um, and, you know, and, and I, I knew going into it that they, you know, the people, the organization, the Media Research Center was not, they weren't as professional as I was. They weren't, you know, they were more, uh, religious fundamentalist than I was. Um, and I thought that I could maybe be a moderating influence on them, but you know, I was wrong you know, to do that. And that's part of why, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing now is to get people to, who are outside that world to understand just how, you know, completely central this, uh, fundamentalist worldview is to most, um, most republicans and and the thing is they a lot of them won't even tell you that like they won't be honest about what they really believe um but primarily you know people who are who are interested in in glorifying and supporting and donald trump are doing it because they believe that christians are under attack and that donald trump is their champion um and so it doesn't matter you know anything that he does is okay because he is in he's okay you know he's he's part of the larger cause which is crushing the satanic left um and um you know and the and the and the secular humanists um as bill o'reilly calls them um and so you know it's uh and i think it, I, that's a, a a point that is surprisingly difficult for a lot of of uh people who are in you know, in the center or the left to understand is that, you know, they want to think that it's something else um, that is, you know, this is the one reason, you know, why they do X, but, you know, and, and it's true, there might be some people who are, you know, motivated by sexism or racism or, you know, something else or economic, you know, um, the, you know, Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand market fundamentalist type stuff. Um, but overwhelmingly, it's about religion um, and it's about fundamentalism. And it, I think to some degree, accepting that point is difficult for some people because they may be you know, more moderately religious. And so in their minds, they think that it's some sort of attack on their moderate beliefs to acknowledge that people with fundamentalist beliefs exist and are trying to you know wreak havoc um but it really isn't an attack on them at all it has nothing to do with them um you know uh, there's a my favorite bible quote um is a saying of jesus where he said that uh, the sabbath is made for man not man for the sabbath um and you know that's the attitude that you know if you have that attitude with respect to religion and you that you see religion as being something useful for people um, and something that is, you know, that they use to help them deal with life or whatever, 
um, then that's a good thing. But if they turn it around and you know make their whole life about their religion, then they have a problem. Um, but it's no different than you know having uh, you know being a making your life for Star Wars or making your life <laughs> for, you know, Magic the Gathering or, or whatever, uh, or some sports team, you know, like that's, that's not healthy either. Um, and, but at the same time, you know, you don't have to like Star Wars or Magic the Gathering or, you know, even sports at all. Um, so it's, it's, it's a hobby. I think if you think of it more as like that and it's something that exists in your life um, and something that, you know, can be positive for you, then you shouldn't feel threatened by this analysis. Yeah. And I think if, if I liberals, for example, keep this in mind, do you think that there could be a better or, or, or a more centered conversation with people and maybe the approach would change? Because again, it's about understanding where the, where one side or the other comes from and, if you think it's one thing, you know, like you mentioned, like maybe, you know, it's not so much racism, but rather, uh, you know, their what they feel is like their religious duty. Right. If we center on that rather than all the mm -hmm. other things, maybe we get to the root of some people would call it a problem or maybe it's a way to go ahead and realize, OK, maybe if we approach it this way, we can bring them back into the conversation. Uh, yeah, I think so. And, you know, part of that also is that, you know, when you're accusing people of having various beliefs that they may not have, um, you know, they get upset about that. And they <laughs> and, double down. And, and yeah, and, you know, and they might actually move toward those. Like, I have heard people say things like, oh, well, you're always accusing me of being a racist. Well, I guess I'm going to see what these racists have to say. Uh, and it's like, well, no, no, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> but unfortunately some people are going to do dumb stuff like that and um you know especially in the cognitive environment that exists in conservatism now where you know american conservatism where everything is simply about whatever you know the left likes well then i don't like it um and you know it's just this contrarian um it's not it's not fact-based it's emotion-based um and you know and i think getting people to understand that you know, who come from this, from that type of worldview, getting them to understand why they think those things, um, rather than trying to say, oh, well, you're just a racist. Um, you know, like, if they're just a racist, then how are you going to solve that? Um, <laughs> you know, you, you're not. Um, and so I think, it, you know, it's I, those, uh, you know, racist opinions exist among a lot of Republicans, for sure. But they come from this faulty worldview, um, and they're encouraged by Republican political consultants who, you know, are constantly on the look lookout for what they call wedge issues, uh, where they can take a small uh, group of people and then use them as the target to motivate their their uh, their voter base. So, like right now, they're doing it with transgender people. Like, you know, like you turn on Fox News, like they, it's transgender, this transgender, that, um, you know, and like basically the number of transgender people in America is like less than one in 1000 people. Um, like most people are not going to know anyone in their personal life who is transgender. They're just not. Um, now, some, you know, if you live in a more... Um, uh, densely populated metro area, you might know a couple, maybe, or one or two, you know, your, your attitudes are being manipulated and your thought processes are being manipulated by, you know, Republican political consultants. And, you know, and that's, there was this guy named Lee Atwater who basically was the first really uh, great in terms of achievement, um, you know, political consultant out there of any party. And, Basically, he established the pattern in 1988 um, for all Republican presidential candidacies, and they've all followed the exact same playbook ever since then, uh, which is to say, you know, don't look at my policies because um, you might not like those. Uh, you know, I want to uh, have you pay more in taxes if you're middle income. I want to... Um, you know, and, and I want to lower taxes for, you know, big 
companies and millionaires. Um, so don't look at my policies. Instead, let's talk about how this guy wants to burn the American flag. Or oh look, there's a uh, you know there's a, a a lesbian couple who wants to get married. Um, you know, and and so like that's been kind of the the mo the modus operandi of of Republican politics ever since is that they look for these cultural um, issues and try to press on them and get people to obsess about it. I mean, they you know like you look at conservative websites, they're constantly talking about oh, what about girls' sports? What about girls' sports and and transgender girls or or women? Um, you know and like they just talk about it all the time. But again, there's like, they literally have one example that they have ever been able to cite to <laughs> of somebody uh, winning winning uh, an athletic contest uh, as a transgender um, girl. And so, but even, even so, like it's a freaking high school sport. How mm -hmm. much does that really matter <laughs> if somebody wins a championship? Um, does it really matter to you you know, who wins a track meet in uh, Oskaloosa, uh, you know, uh, Alabama, or, you know, Cheyenne, Wyoming, like, does it really fucking matter who wins that track meet? No, it does not matter. I can tell you that. And it's not national news who wins a track meet or a wrestling meet or whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. So stop getting upset about it and there and realize that you're being manipulated. Um, yeah, let the kids play, you know, and and obviously, again, th these are issues that are more of a boogeyman, right? Like the uh, sheer idea of it is what they're freaked out about when they may have never encountered it before, because more likely than not, they're not going to encounter it. And just to go back to for reference on the 1988 election, uh, that's H.W. Uh, against Dukakis. So, yeah. I mean, even then, like this is all stuff that wasn't all that long ago, like I wasn't born yet. But when you start looking at 30 years, that's not too long ago. Like, this is all stuff that's still new, but has played a big part in the political landscape. So mm -hmm. it's all stuff that is still developing, and we're seeing, we're still seeing, you know, uh, it bearing fruit, right? And it's still evolving oh, yeah. from there. Um, so let me ask you this now, just as we go ahead and start wrapping up. Would you still consider yourself, you know, a conservative writer, journalist? Like, what what would you label your, yourself at this point? I think I would label myself as uh, coming from the philo uh, philosophical tradition of pragmatism. Um, so, the way that that currently exists now, it's you know more on the political left. Um, but I don't really have any particular loyalty to any particular party. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm, I am in favor of, you know, I'm in favor of policies that can be demonstrated to be helpful to people. And, and I don't necessarily, I don't care necessarily where they come from. So, you know, like with, like, I'm in favor of nuclear power, for instance, and, um, I'm actually in favor of, you know, domestic oil production in the United States, um, because, if that that's actually better for the environment than to allow it to happen in in other countries around the world which have la laxer environmental standards so if you actually care about the planet you want to have more energy in the united states not less um, but at the same time i'm also in favor of you know electrical um you know transitioning away from fossil fuels and cars so you know that's i don't i don't align myself with any one particular tradition or another and i don't think that that makes sense and you know after doing that for a large part of my life uh it's nice not having to play for a particular team <laughs> it, it lets you sleep at night a little better i imagine so matthew thank you so much where can we find you um yeah well uh you can find me at flux i'm the editor and publisher of that it's flux f-l-u-x dot community and then i'm also on twitter um at matt sheffield uh, S-H-E-F-F-I-E-L-D. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was uh, very informative. I think it's great to have conversations like this to be able to understand more so the political landscape, but also where people like yourself come from, too, where, you know, you, you got to see and evolve from all these ideas that you grew up with 
and these experiences that you had. Uh, yeah, well, thanks. It was, uh, it, was, it was my pleasure. Well, thank you so much. That brings us to the end of this episode of Candidly Human. Thank you so much to Matthew Sheffield for joining us. Make sure you guys go follow him on Twitter at Matt Sheffield and check out Flux Community, flux.community. And thank you to the listener for sticking around and giving this a listen. Make sure you go ahead and check out candidlyhuman.com. There you can find all of the info on the podcast and much more. You can find us on, I mean, look, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, so many places where you can find Candidly Human. And make sure you go ahead and follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. On Facebook, it's Candidly Human. On Twitter and Instagram, Candidly Human US. Make sure you follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch. It's all the same at the real Satarine. So make sure you tune in next time. I'm Alex Satarain, and this was Candidly Human.